0: It's time for Mapping Tech in Public Safety with Chris and Steve. This podcast is about GIS and how it integrates into all aspects of public safety. From first responders, emergency management, incident management, search and rescue, next generation 911, and any other topics around public safety GIS. Mapping Tech in Public Safety is supported by the National Alliance for Public Safety GIS, Interra Incorporated, Fire Mapping Incorporated, ESRI, and Geocom. This is episode number three, recorded on September 5th, 2018. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey,
1: yourself, Steve?
0: Good. So here we are for our third episode of mapping tech in public safety so far we i think we've had a good couple of first episodes the blog has been coming along for those who haven't seen the blog yet we revamped the blog and have some new articles up there a place where you could post some comments to send to us we'd like to hear from the audience on guests and or topics that you might like to hear on this podcast and this week, I'm going to let Chris introduce our first guest.
1: Yeah, thanks, Steve. Yeah, you know, so Dave Blankenship is a very old friend of both Steve and I's, and we kind of go way back about uh, 12-ish years where we all kind of started similar passions in fire service-based GIS. Dave started, I met Dave when he was a uh, the lead GIS guy for the Colorado Springs Fire Department, and he moved on to greater things from there. So Dave, tell us about yourself introduce yourself to the audience.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for ha- letting me hang out with you guys. I've been loving the blog and I've been loving the podcast. So I think it's super cool. And I mean, selfishly, this is just our favorite thing to talk about always has been. So it seems weird to be able to do it and do it on a podcast. It's sort of what you and, and Steve and I would do anyway, anywhere all the time, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Except we usually do it we're <laughs> Usually it has beer involved. It doesn't work at nine o'clock in the morning, Mike. Right?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I, I'm just a, sort of a blue-collar buyer, GIS nerd. Old school now, a lot of gray gray beard, gray hair, but just fell in love with GIS in the mid-90s, uh, working for a utility, Colorado Springs Utilities. Great company. Loved GIS that was happening there, all the stuff that you could do with analysis and and uh, just tying all the data in the world to map space, to analysis that was uh, spatial. And so that was a revelation to me, and then did that for a long time, sort of discovered over the over years, you know, I guess it hit me like a bolt of lightning in the fire department from town, came in and wanted some help uh, doing some parcel-based risk assessment kind of stuff and the utilities had the data and I was working on some special projects types of things there. I was lucky enough to get to work with uh, a a real pioneer in the mitigation field for GIS and fire with named uh, Captain Bill Mills. I owe a lot to the utilities and to Captain Mills for introducing me to this idea that you could actually do GIS for fire and I just I was awestruck that moment because I was in love with GIS for utilities. I mean, love, love realizing that I could do that for fire, for public safety, uh, with all of all that that implies from the mitigation to the operational side, all the strategic and the analytical things that we like, plus, I mean, tactical. So it's like the best of both worlds when you can do all the nerd stuff that you like, plus, you know helicopters and shiny red fire trucks, and they were super generous with me at the uh, when I moved to Colorado Springs Fire as their senior GIS analyst, and that was a I don't know, it was about October of 2011. It was a month after 9/11, so it was a interesting moment to come into the fire service as a geospatial person. Make a long story long, but. Uh, they, they basically just ruggedized me. They GISer that was okay at GIS said, that's great. We'll keep teaching you that. We're going to tie you very closely to fire marshal things, to mitigation things, and to operational things. So they sent, spent many, many years sending me to every school and incident and deployment you can think of. So that was sort of my journey into becoming a fire GIS person.
1: You know and that's one thing, and I think that's probably why you were able to excel a little bit you know your department Colorado Springs brought you out of the closet You know you see like a lot of places where especially in the, in the fire service the technical people are kind of in the back back of the uh, station or back at headquarters of that and it was really pretty cool to see how you were actually pretty exposed and pushed the department to places that didn't really that really typically didn't go for most fire departments so it was really I think that was kind of neat to see how a department will actually leverage resources and personnel to the benefits that just backroom support.
2: Yeah, they were really seeking an outcome. They had a chief at that time that hired me and named Manuel Navarro, Manny Navarro, and he's uh, he's still in the fire service. He's working as a chief in Menlo Park, California now, but he was with Colorado Springs for 15 years, and he had lived through uh, the Oakland Hills fire and some real formative things where the mapping and the uh, technical side uh, would have been a, a great big help. So to understand the problem and to understand how to use technology to uh, help people that were under pressure with, with span of control issues understand a problem visually and be able to make decisions that were better, you know whether that was big picture stuff for the department strategically or very fireground sort of tactical things. It that it was just an interesting moment in time for the Colorado Springs Fire Department, and it was in the the moment of 9/11, and they were looking very very much for outcomes. They wanted things. They wanted to use technology to an advantage. And so in their minds, GIS and the things that you could do with GIS were very closely linked to sort of being able to master a mountain of data and just look down and understand what is happening and what's about to happen. And they really wanted to push the limits of that. So they were very, very uh, forward thinking in that way.
1: Obviously, the chief Boy had an idea. Did the department kind of as a whole support that idea? And how easy are some of the challenges that You kind of saw in your Colorado Springs days and how easy it was to implement it culturally and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, well, I credit sort of my formative years at Colorado Springs Utilities, because I'd always done GIS in the context of very operational things with pipe fitters, electric linemen, and that kind of thing. So it's a tough crowd. And if you wander down in your Birkenstocks with a paper map that doesn't do anybody (laughs) any good, they're not very shy about telling you in no uncertain terms how good or bad that is. So you learn how to make things that are relevant to real people doing real jobs. So when I moved to the fire department, it was a similar personality. It was people that are were serious about their craft, that love what they do, you know, both on the EMS and fire and rescue sides. And if you bring an idea and you're a good listener, I'm not trying to impress anybody with technical jargon, you know, to make them uh, think that i 'm smart, but just try to be a real servant and make products map products at that time mostly, and then soon thereafter, like web kind of products and apps that uh, that were relevant and just made everyday life easier you learn I learned two things quickly: is make it relevant, make it easy and it 's just like if you make somebody 's job a little bit easier don 't make them have to master your craft then they 'll use it, and they readily accept you so if you 're humble. And you make it easier then what's not to like right I think that that's a disease that technical people get they are intimidated by that field or line kind of mentality and you know the more you want to just learn everything that they do you know how every engine and tool and comms plan and everything they do works the people like showing you what they do and they'll teach you and then if you can come alongside that with that understanding make a map that helps them find a choking baby, you know, in the middle of the night, then yeah. you're in. And they feel like you're really trying to be a part of the team. It wasn't a hard, hard sell.
1: absolutely. That, that
0: was one of the things I discussed with Chris during our first episode was in the FDNY. I always felt they knew they valued GIS, but they didn't know how to value GIS. It was kind of our job a lot of times to – come up with a product or come up with an idea, just show them, Hey, this is what we have. And like you said, if you're kind of humble about it, they take to it and they see, Hey, this is a a good resource for us to have a good tool.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I I couldn't have said it better really, because if you're going to sit around some cubicle and wait for, you know, a truck company to come tell you how they want to use GIS, then it just like that's profoundly illogical. Like they don't do that. You know, but if you, if you go live with them and ride with them and work with them, you know, and see, and then use your creativity, it's, it's sort of incumbent on the technical personnel to be bilingual and make that translation. And then to be a good enough listener that when you bring something back, if it needs to be adjusted to really be helpful, to quickly make that adjustment so that they'll try it. And then once they try it, I mean, in my experience, fire department people will try anything, once they're open to new ideas, but they're closed to something that's not going to work very well. So they'll try anything, but if it stinks or if it's worse or if it's harder, they're done and they'll tell everybody else how bad it is. But conversely, if it's good, if they like it, if it helps, then you better look out because they're all going to use it. You better be ready to scale.
0: Yeah. So- and that's also one of the things I found too. You know, the old salty firefighter, salty staff chief you know they always have these views of well what do i need gis for or what do i need this technology for you know putting fires out for hundreds of years but one of the things i had seen starting to progress was this shift of the younger generation this younger generation is used to technology they're used to the the mobile phones or the tablet you know not necessarily pcs or MacBooks but the, you know definitely those handheld devices and some of that seems to be gaining traction
2: well so I have a question about that for you guys and your experience I mean in, in my observation that was absolutely my experience there's a lot of you know salty dogs out there that don't have a big use for technology and everything but I mean in my heart I'm 22 but I'm much closer to 50 now and I've seen that change to where those young, technologically savvy people in the fire department have progressed through the ranks as lieutenants and captains and drivers and medics, and now they're battalion chiefs, deputy chiefs, assistant chiefs, and some of them are chiefs now. And so it's occurred to me to challenge them to not just kick that can down the road and say the younger generation is going to really embrace technology, instead to say, hey, you guys are the younger technology, it's here, it's happening. You know, and what are you going to do to take control of that? And I wonder, you know, how much of that you guys have seen in your experience too.
0: Well, I, I, I want to clear up one thing. This podcast is chris and i show we ask the questions you do the answer <laughs> oh no
1: actually i was going to answer that question because that's probably better the a better question than what we came up with so far steve
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no so. I,
2: i've always learned a lot from you guys and i mean you guys are the left coast and the right coast so you've probably seen more than i have
1: moving on As
0: i was ending my career at the fire department i definitely saw that Like you said, that younger generation coming up through the ranks and specifically there was a a deputy chief, a jello, loved technology. He was constantly in our office wanting us to work on things. Can you do this? You know, one of the other things I always found with GIS is personnel didn't understand like, okay, they want a map. Why couldn't we have it in five minutes? Yeah. You know, they didn't understand, especially if it was data that we didn't have or had to put together or collect. You know, but this was the type of chief that would come into our office and sit down with us, kind of see the process of what
1: what, went into GIS and what we had to do.
0: You know, I saw those chiefs coming up through the
1: ranks. I I see we're kind of in a gray area right now because, you know, in my experience, it's about 50-50. You have a lot of tech-savvy firefighters and other employees that understand it, but their experience tends to be commercial stuff like Google and Apple and how easy it is and how presentable it is. Whenever you implement like uh, technology in a governmental setting or be in a specific setting like GIS where we're more worried about specific types of data like hydrants and where hazards are and stuff, it's pretty hard to to put together. So there's an expectation that should be a lot easier. But on the flip side though, it's nice because we have chiefs that are a lot more tech savvy and they recognize the need for it but a lot of them don't have a technical background to architect or understand how to communicate what thing they need or what device they need or what technology or how to implement the technology and sometimes it, with this oversimplification of technology people can just assume it's out of the box and really it's not it's more of you know you got to quit it like expecting out a fire engine somebody smart has to do provide a lot of detail and work to spec out or identify needs in terms of technology. And sometimes I think we're not there yet.
2: Well, I think that brings up one of the most interesting things that we talk about a lot. You know, like many things, I have a strong, strong opinion about this. So feel free to disagree. But I feel like that's said such an important word there, like architect, you know, and as mm-hmm. my career has transitioned over time, I work for a company called Intera right now. We work on cloud-based, app-based GIS without saying the words geographic information systems.
1: And yeah. so I
2: have this opinion You have to architect this future. You can't. It's the same principle as don't wait for a truck company to come into your office and tell you how they want you to use GIS. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can progress in a career in public safety GIS. You can promote through an agency. You can work for other agencies, for states or feds or policymaking bodies or accreditation agencies. There's a, there's a, just a, so many paths that are interesting. But for me, looking at that landscape and really how to push this thing into the future, I made a decision. There's fun parts to it, too, that are bagpipes and beer and all that stuff, which are funny. But for the purpose of this discussion, it was really a decision to say, how can we affect and push forward the technology, the public safety GIS, to make this the fabric and DNA and part of the tradition of public safety? And to do that, I wanted to do that commercially. We started a company that could do that. What I like about that is that you get to architect that. You get to make software. You're not beholden to the rules of a bureaucracy and waiting for people to tell you you want to do this data and that data. The market is your judge. And so you can push the boundaries of that tech. You can find the best athlete to put in a race technology-wise. And use that kind of backbone to make systems that talk to each other, that remove the barriers, that make it easier to use, that do integration kind of stuff. I like the idea of picking the tool that is a company to get outside of sort of the structured environment that sometimes happens in cities and towns and fire departments or police departments that make it hard to innovate and get into that innovation space to architect. And so it's, even though that sounds, you know, like, oh, sort of big picture stuff, it's very centered on the practical idea of, I want to be able to push this data and technology forward as hard as I can. And I don't, and I I hate the idea of somebody sitting around saying, oh, fire departments don't understand. You know, like, you know, like you said, Steve, like, they don't understand, like, how, how long it takes to make a map, I think we have to make it you know easy and modern in technology use on the devices that they use in ways that are intuitive to people. So if it's not as easy as like Twitter to use or yeah. our weather app or something like that, then it will fail and and that's the sort of self-inflicted stuff that a lot of public safety GIS people do is they say, well, they don't understand, it's harder to do this than they think, and there's real data problems. and that is true. But we just have to evolve past this idea. It's like our job as architects to make all of that noise, the integration, the data, capture, control, normalization, denormalization. All those things happen. And, you know, as much as we'd like to talk about it, you almost have to make that fade in the background and just say like, hey, man, just check your phone.
0: Chris and I spoke about during our first episode, started introducing GIS and mobile GIS. After we hosted the Super Bowl in 2014, we started using simple apps like the Collector app, putting it in the hands of the incident management team and and the urban search and rescue team. With a brief tutorial, I'm going to say no more than a half hour, our guys were going around the fire academy and then we held the drill where they were taking these iPads and going out and collecting data. It was simple.
2: Yeah, like when they when they used it and it was in their wheelhouse and it was like, oh, hey, just show me how to do this real quick, do it on the iPad. It takes a thousand emails and paper and printing and books and binders and updating all that out of it, and you just made it simple for them. They grabbed it,
0: right? Absolutely, and, and not only simple for them, but now taking this data You know having it synced up to the cloud now the incident commander has it back at the command post any other section leaders uh you know have all this data as it's being collected even back in brooklyn at our operations center at headquarters now the staff chief's going to the ops center They have it up on the big displays. That's how simple it is.
1: Yeah, but, you know, it still took, like, for example, you, Steve, and you, Dave, but, like, the smart guys to kind of architect it and understand both the technical side and the ops side. And I think that's that's one of our goals with this podcast is kind of bridge that gap a little bit between the the more technical-oriented people and the more ops-oriented people. And each side needs to give a little bit towards the other so that they start understanding each other's roles a little bit so they can communicate to each
2: other. Yeah, I think that, you know, on the fire department side, you know, what they have to do is the challenge would be to think of managing your information, your data, the same way you would think about like specking out a new pe- piece of apparatus. I mean, they, yeah. they're so careful to do that and they have apparatus committees and you sort of argue about the diamond plate or the LED lighting on the inside of the third panel on yeah. the left side of the new quint and all that kind of stuff that you do. And you should, as a fire department, start thinking in terms of we need to think about our data this way. Can we use our CAD data, our records management data, our AVL data, our staffing data, all of the EMS data for metrics? Like, How do we get a handle on that the same way we've got it on our fleet? And to the technologist, I would say you have to give some ground and not just consider yourself... GIS as a discipline unto its own. It's a tool and a toolbox. Mm. I've learned anything that there is not a clear bright line between GIS and mainstream IT and databases mm. and machine learning and all no. of this, you know, automation that you can find. So if you're not snotty about just being a GIS person making a map and using that to make some apps, you know, with some app builder or something like that, and you're serious about saying like What does a team look like? The developer and the database person, a network guy and a GIS expert, you know, when you put sort of that peanut butter and jelly together, you can do powerful things that make it easy for the line to catch that vision and begin to want to have more information and more data and be interested in, you know, sort of mastering that information cycle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Fire Engine analogy is a a really good analogy because you can tell you know, anybody in the fire, it's a fire source can tell if the fire chief spec'd out a fire engine versus the guys on the line. I mean, the, the guys on the line would spec out a fire engine and that, the hose beds would be kind of at shoulder level. The things would be easily reachable and accessible. The pump panels is, is simple. Tell the fire chief probably did it because it's got nicer paint job and it's more visual than it is practical. So, you know, I think that that, that same approach can definitely uh, be extended to technology implementation and
0: architecture. I also think, too, that you, you always have to be careful not getting too deep trying to promote GIS, any sort of technology. I always joked around and said, yeah, I could go to a fire chief and ask for $750,000 for a new fire truck they probably write the check right in front of you. But when you start talking to the oh, well, I need five servers, one for a database, one for a web <laughs> server, I need licensing, I need maintenance, I need staff to do this.
2: Yeah, I think they're they're after the same thing. You know, you know, we work with insanely practical people and they want outcomes. They want things to get better. They want their decisions to be made with real information behind it. They can use the, and leverage the experience and the intuition that they have you know, having come up in the fire service, if you can give them information and in dashboard, something to look at that answers the actual questions that they have. And so in some ways, you're sort of solving that budget ask. It seems most successful when you solve that budget ask by operationalizing the problem, by saying, yeah. here's the outcomes, here's the things that you, I know you want, that you say that you want, here's the answers to your questions. Typically, when we see that kind of Thing happen when you see good work by GIS shops and IT shops or around the country in these departments. Work the guy that would write that same seven hundred fifty thousand dollar check for an engine or a truck says, "Okay, that is what I want." And if you need political or budget support to do that, you know, just tell me what I can do to help you. And so it's sort of uh, like switching the question around and saying, "Here's." By paying attention and knowing, like, these things aren't rocket science. You know, most of the departments, there's differences in scale, but they all want to know about the same kinds of things to help make decisions and to help keep people safe and to understand the problems they're facing and being able to communicate that to policymakers and politicians and budget purse string holders. And if they can do that easily and have transparency in their process, then that makes them very, very successful. And they can turn around and say, I'm willing to build a shop around that or invest in five servers or whatever it might take you computer nerds will know what you need but if you can get me this just tell me what you need
1: yeah so i got a kind of an interesting question for you dave and you, because know, you've had the built uh, the experience of working both in go- government level government fire service and then also in the private sector if you were to uh back a time from your current self to your former self what what advice would you give in terms of like communicating with vendors and suppliers the big technology ask that you would have to your yourself
2: well, we could talk about that for a long time. Um, (laughs) But I would, I would mostly um, boil it down, you know, and I would say, there's a lot of people along the way that tell you all the reasons something isn't a good idea, or they can't do it, and Uh or wait to do it. I just don't believe it, you know, that, you know, and I think those are excuses. You know, that's what I would tell myself is, if somebody says there's no money, or there's no time, or there's no resource to do something, that generally means that they don't understand, like I'm not doing my job well enough. So to have the optimism and the vision to say, I know, you know what you guys have said, I know this is what you really want, and I know how to build that for you, mm-hmm. and to start building that. And I would also say along that, you can't make a Lamborghini out on your first try when you're just a fire department GIS person sitting by yourself without a ton of extra resources around you. Yeah. But you can make all the things that the department is doing a little bit easier. And we always sort of have this thought sort of on the Intel side is like, I would rather have a 60% solution right now than like an 80 or 90% solution in three weeks. You know, that's true on a fire where I'd rather have some guidance and understand of what's going on like right now, right now, so that my experience can take over instead of having a perfect map or something like that that sort of comes in eight hours too late and it's just a history lesson. It's irrelevant. And so to make yourself relevant, you have to start chipping away at the phases of a problem, better map books, a little better, easy usability Quit telling them no and how hard everything is, and just work, 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 and be willing to put the time in work you know like if uh if somebody's just a clock puncher aren't invested in the mission of their department, the department gets that you're a clock puncher you know yeah. you're not a you're not a part of the pointing into the spear, I think it's worth spending the time, and it's wildly fun to be involved with a fire department that's doing stuff that's not you, find a, find a better spot for you. But if that is you, don't let the bureaucracy, which will be screaming at you, spend extra time. Don't do this. We can't do this. We've never done that. The old gang of the fire service 150 years of tradition unimpeded by progress. Be the progress. So I would tell myself to be optimistic, look for the actual answer of like what they need and work and to do everything within my limited resources, time, and ability to make it better. Give them a win, some simple things, and then build a foundation. Make a better map. Make the answer to a, a question they have. I remember 100 years ago, you guys remember it better, but our buddy Pete <laughs> Hanna Baltimore City Firewood made, what did they call that thing? A digital pegboard, I think they yeah, called it. And exactly. It was, uh, it, was
0: awesome. it
2: was literally just a map with a PDF with layers you could turn on and off, but it was, I, it was a revelation to me. He didn't have a ton of resources and certainly didn't have a ton of support in a huge metro department like that. But he made a super successful product that propelled that fire department forward on this stuff because he just said, well, I can make a map with a PDF that lets me click on and off stations when they're browned out or in and out of service or, or they're tapped out. And I can see where I need to move people around or where I'm going to have holes. And it was literally a PDF. It was, it was just a game changer. And so that's a good example of, you know, if somebody would have said, yeah, we're not into this technology, we're not going to do it, or that's the purview of the IT department for the city or something, he never would have done it. But he knew what would be helpful, and he made something that would work and work for them.
1: Yeah, Pete, Pete's one of those hidden gems uh, in GIS we're we'll going to probably end up talking to him in the future, too, because he's got some interesting perspectives on how to make this simple. So we're looking forward to talking to Pete in the future. Yeah, good
0: call. We discussed your, your fire department background, talking about your private industry background. One of the things that can't seem to figure this out, I have thought about it for years, was the small fire departments. The fire departments volunteer, a lot of times have limited budget their money goes into apparatus and equipment. Have you seen that from your perspective as a vendor? Do you have any ideas of how maybe we could overcome that? And again, we wanted this podcast to be for the public safety personnel, minimal or no knowledge of GIS. Maybe they have seen GIS, but they don't know anything about it. And we'd like to get the message to them. How can I do something like this? Who can I go to? Are there cheap implementations to my department or agency? Have you seen that in your experience?
2: You know, I can talk about it from several perspectives. Generally speaking in technology, I think that technology is coming toward this problem. Like apps, easier and easier to find that let you see what your response is doing. Departments will use different software vendors that are cheap, that just let you say like, hey, our department's got a call. I'll let the volunteer... Uh, agencies or that engine sort of mark their I'm coming kind of stuff and, and just solving a simple problem like we have volunteers, we they're all over, just who's going to come to this call? Who do we have coming? What kind of help? Or is it just the two of us? or something? I've started to see the proliferation of just sort of these point apps that do one singular thing. I've seen similar things with pre-planning or hydrants or put a marker on a map that says here's the fire, that kind of stuff. Those are early attempts and they're okay, but it's an example of something that's accessible to anybody. On the commercial side, I like the model a lot of treating all of this the way we do it with every other pattern in the fire department, which is mutual and automatic aid. There's often bigger departments and smaller departments that work closely with one another across shared borders. We see, especially we've seen it in the west and it's moving east, I've seen it further and further east over the years a department will put a system in that manages like incidents from their CAD, AVL, and that kind of stuff, and then pre-planning. And they're doing that for their reasons, but it benefits them and it benefits their partner, local, smaller agencies to just share that system. So I like the vendor models that say, this is important information. We're not going to charge you per user, per installation, per seat. but You need to share this with the people that you work with. And they might not see all the big departments analytics, pre-planning and incident management on a phone, on any device that they have. So if they're a volunteer agency and they get a login, my family at Colorado Springs Fire Department does that. They have a system and then there's a bunch of departments around the, their borders on town that just share it. And they, so now they see each other's pre-planned information and incident information. And that's those are two ways that I see technology coming. And then I think your question's a little more pointed to I'm a volunteer agency, so how do I sort of stand this up and start thinking about this by myself? I think that there's a lot of ways that you can use nearly free or cheap, where whether it's software from ESRI, geared as a package toward a very small agency to just say, I want to collect some field data with my hydrant, free plan information, some incident management kinds of things on a very small price footprint that works with mobile apps and lets you spin those kind of things up. I always like the idea, same kind of pattern there, is just start with, like, scratch the biggest itch you have as a small department. Solve one problem. Do we need to know where each other are? Do we need to map where our water supply is? Do we want to sort of pre-map where we would set up our water supply or something like that? Just start small, work
0: toward big. Yeah, that's one of the things... With the volunteer fire department here on Long Island, almost every department is volunteer. They're generally small departments, depending on the size of the town. That's one of the things I've been trying to put it together a couple of like pre-plans, show it to some of the chiefs how easy it is to collect. And not only I think it's important for within the department, still using three ring binders in many cases. And now with the age of GIS, they could go about and, and keep this information updated but more importantly, because most of these departments are small, there's a lot of mutual aid agreements. In my town, you know, we're surrounded by—I'm not really sure—four or five other towns. Plus, we, you know, may cross a couple of towns on a on a mutual aid basis. Be nice if everybody's sharing to then have their pre-planned data. So when you're going into a town that you're not familiar with, you have this data easily accessible.
2: Well, I just think pre-planned data and water supply are such easy, nice places to start because you know you're going to need yeah. that information. Everybody cares about that. It's super local. You know, there I do see a lot of regional differences in the personalities of fire departments. Some parts of the country share better and some are a little more stovepiped. Some are uh, much more like fraternal organizations and some are, are different than that. I've noticed that if we sort of attack that from like all the county fire chiefs you need to just work together, that can stall. The only ones that are slower to wanna do that are generally like the IT shops and GIS shops. They have a hard time sharing with each other when you get right down to the data level. But if you make it operational and just practical and say you're doing mutual aid and when you go across the boundary to East Rockaway or whatever, don't you wanna be able to uh, have a lot of detail on that structure where you have a fire. Would you rather have that or not have that? And the ops people, volunteer, combination, or career, any, any level of fire department, they universally want that information and they're willing to participate in that. And if you can find a little common ground like that, it makes every next conversation so much easier when you can say, well, you, you already do this together. Let's do this other thing together.
1: Yes, yeah, it seems like you can strike a pretty helpful balance between maintaining some, you know, internal pride, if you will, on doing your own thing. Whereas if you set up a framework where you can start sharing data across the board, you, you probably do have one foot in one, one foot in the other. And I think the, the, the benefit of having you know, cloud services or having your data on the cloud makes it so that you can have perhaps do that a little bit easier. For example, you know, one department can maintain their own feature classes or data sets of hydrant information and then the net department over could do the same thing on their own with the cl- having a cloud service. You could actually put them together and physically match them up on the, on the same map. So I think kind of an interesting opportunity, or interesting time where you could actually kind of do both things. You can maintain your own stuff in-house, but then have the framework to share it seamlessly to your neighbors and across uh, wider jurisdictions.
0: Well, that was one of the big things with us, too, is in New York City, everybody tried to hold their data so close to them. Didn't want to share with them uh, with security issues. Well, if I'm giving my data out to the FDMY or to any agency, are you going to be storing the data? Cloud services helped a lot. You could share your data, but you're still holding it closely to you. I think that's really helped a lot.
1: Cool. You know, I have a feeling we can talk probably another three or four hours and I, guess, I think we're going to probably have to have Dave come back on with us here, talk more about sharing data and some of the challenges related to that. Because I think we're starting to open the box. I know personally, I can go on for hours. I know for a fact that Dave can go on for days. With this, actually, kind of probably probably us a little has bit. Gone on for days. He has gone on for days. <laughs> Well,
2: I do have one one of the things sort of to close that thought off and, and we see this idea scaling. You know, if the if the theme today has been sort of start practical, start small, start sharing and just bake that into the operational side and it and it will sort of catch a hold, that seed will grow and flourish. We have seen that flourish.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: there's there's a lot of people that we really want to use this platform to sort of teach them how to progress down this road, but the road is at least gravel, and it may be paved a long way in front of you now. And one thing that I've seen that's sort of the ultimate manifestation of, of this kind of thing in the fire services, we have seen emergence of programs nationally. And one that I like that I'm involved in is called the Fire Data Lab, and they have a website. It's the Western Fire Chiefs Association Vision, the Western Division of the IFC And they have a thing called Fire Data Lab. You can go to firedatalab.com and look at it. But the idea was start small, start integration, start integrating a few of these systems that you have together to get answers strategically and tactically. And then they have done the most interesting thing. They've started to flow data between departments together so that not only are they doing big-time analytics, but they're doing that all in dashboards and then they're comparing data between departments so you can say who are people like me or more importantly like this neighborhood or this subdivision or this part of town this population density this the way that i deploy the way that i staff you know any of those things who's like me and how are we performing are they better are they worse why are they better than i am and it facilitates of all things not tech it facilitates conversation between them they get a live look at quote-unquote what is the performance of the fire service right now and how does that relate to me you know to compare apples to apples and help me improve that is like a lifeline for these guys not live in a vacuum and say like I don't know I can't crack all these nuts but together they're working together with data so it's sort of like mutual aid for data they figured out how to make that secure and anonymized and all those data sharing issues that we get to focus on. But that kind of idea is the future of this stuff where we have common data. We can apply big data science to it. We can have practical questions to problems that are just being too boring on the IT side. We can just have enormous uh, pots of data to study and understand these things happen and be predictive and all those kind of things. So I think that's sort of the manifestations of this same idea of make it operational share with each other you know start simple you can scale just about as far as you can imagine
1: that's awesome we will definitely include a link to the firedatalab.com on our website mappingtechandpublicsafety.com steve i think we're out of time aren't we i lost track of time
0: yeah i did too no david you've been a great first guest I think in the future, we'd definitely like to talk to you more about some other topic, specifically wilderness fires.
2: Yeah, thanks. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. I love what you guys are doing. I, I can probably even find much smarter people than I am to talk to you about that kind of stuff, but happy to help and support you guys any any way I can.
0: Thanks, Dave. Appreciate
1: so, it. Feel free to w- reach out to us. Our website is mappingtechandpublicsafety.com. This is Chris.
0: And I'm and Steve. That- a podcast about GIS for and by public safety professionals.